in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. And it is an, indeed a great privilege that we have to open up the Word of God and to center our worship today upon the birth of the Savior. What I have chosen here is an unusual text, I think, for Christmas and probably an unusual title. Uh, we're used to reading either the first and second chapter of Matthew or first and second chapter of Luke because that's where we find the story of Jesus' birth, and that's where we would go when we talk about the birth of Christ. Now, if you remember last year, we were just getting started into the book of Matthew, and we were able to take the entire month and look at the first two chapters of Matthew, and we really got a detailed look into the Christmas story. And the text that I've chosen today may appear that it doesn't have anything at all to do with Christmas. In fact, the timing of the text that we're reading here is actually someplace off in the future. Now, those of you that have been studying with us on uh, Sunday nights in the book of Revelation, you know that the book of Revelation is mostly about events that are yet future. And the chapter that we're reading here right now is at or near the end of the book, And we know that if the events of Revelation were to begin unfolding even at this very hour, that it would be about at least a thousand and seven years before we come to what's written in this particular text. Now, the Christmas story is 2,000 years in the past. And what we're reading here is somewhere at least more than a thousand years into the future. And yet what we read in Scripture is exactly the same. Uh, Christmas is part of this story, and Christmas is actually the hinge pin which connects eternity past with eternity future. I want you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Heavenly Fathers, we bow before you today. We're indeed thankful for your word and the story that we read here about the birth of Christ. And then this particular text, as we look at it today, and we learn about what's coming in the future for your people. And Lord, we thank you for what's happened in the past. Jesus Christ coming into the world to be born and then to live and die for our sins. And we ask you, Lord, help us to keep that on our minds as we think about this text today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is really a wonderful text. Uh, This is John's vision of the holy city that God is preparing for those who are the faithful of the church. The picture that John sees unfolding before his eyes here is of that final resting place, that promised place that God has said 
that he has prepared for us in the place where we'll come face to face with God and we'll worship him and we'll dwell with him throughout all eternity. Now, I want to call your attention especially to verse number 5. It says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. Behold, I make all things new. And that's the text that I want to choose for today. Behold, I make all things new. Because that's what Christ did when he came into this world. He came to change things and to make things new. Christ's arrival upon the earth changed everything. And nothing is the same since Christ came. A few years ago, I had a friend that was very fond of using this term sea change. And... uh, Maybe some of you have never heard that before, don't understand it, you're not familiar with it. But he would insert that term just uh, in just about any conversation that he could. And he would say something like, well, this concept is a sea change from what we originally intended. As I said, you might be unfamiliar with that term, but basically what it means is a profound transformation. Now, I don't want to get into all of the origins of the word today and how that people have used it, abused it, misused it. And uh, I don't want to talk about things that are not originally intended for it. But this is a term that came from Shakespeare's play, The Tempest. And originally, it meant something as simple as this. A change that is brought about by the sea. And the way that Shakespeare used it was of a body that was left in the sea. And over the course of time, that body had turned to coral. Now, it became encrusted with the coral. And so a transformation took place in that body. And from that beginning the term began to be used as an idiom for any kind of a radical change. And I think that when we use the term that way, we can certainly say that Christmas was a sea change. There was a great transformation that has taken place and things that will take place because of Christ coming into the world. Now, Christianity is the, or Christmas again rather, is the hinge on which humanity swings. Time hinges upon the birth of Christ. The incarnation of Jesus uh, was the time that, or the middle dividing of all of time, so that everything that happens before Christ came into the world, before he was born, is B.C., before Christ. Everything that happens after Christ was born is A.D., which is Anno Domini, which means in the year of the Lord. And so everything is different because of Christ. And even those who care nothing at all about Jesus or anything that he did, they are... Uh, must adhere to a system of dating based upon the birth of the most important person that was ever born in this world. Uh, Jesus' arrival in the world was for the purpose of making all things new. But when we read this text in Revelation 21 verse 5, you can be sure of this, that God does not intend any of these new things for those who care nothing at all about Christ. Revelation chapter 21 is a text for believers only. This is about those that Christ came into the world to save. And for them, all things are new. Now, today I want to talk to you about some radical transformations, some sea changes that take place, will take place, have taken place because of the birth of Christ. These are radical changes. And if you aren't saved today, I want you to pay particular attention to this, this message today, because some of the transformations that we're going to talk about here must take place in your life for you to be a part of what happens in Revelation 21, verse number 5. None of this means anything to you. Christmas does not mean anything to you. 
if you've not had some of these transformations. So what is the sea change of Christmas? Well, I want to begin with this, that Christmas, because of Christmas, we have a change in our view of God. There's a changing of the view of God. Now, if you look at verse number 3 again, John writes, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, do you see the word tabernacle in the text? That's a great word in the Bible. Because the tabernacle is the very first place where God began to dwell with his people. In the Old Testament, Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle. It was a tent, and it housed all of the furnishings that Israel used in its worship. As they traveled throughout the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they would set up this tent from place to place. It would travel with them, and there is the place where God met with them. Now, many years later, the tabernacle was replaced by the temple as a permanent place of worship. But the tabernacle is very significant to us because that was the first physical place where God came to dwell with his people. And God's presence was seen in that tabernacle by this brilliant, shining light that hovered over the, over the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And they knew that the presence of God was there because of that brilliant light. But in that time, God was not seen in a personal way. He wasn't viewed in the sense that he was someone who could be personally interacted with on an individual level. Uh, Israel had priests for that purpose. A priest is someone who stands as an intermediary between God and man. And so God was not seen as someone that who could uh, be with them on an individual level. And God did not deal directly with individual Israelites. But we come to the New Testament, and the Apostle John writes a very interesting comment about Jesus in his gospel. In the first chapter, in verse number 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As most of you know, the word there refers to Jesus Christ. And John says, The Word dwelt among us. And the literal translation of that phrase is the word tabernacled with us, or the word pitched his tent among us. And that is a direct reference going back to the Old Testament, to the tabernacle where God first dwelt with his people. And so when God came into the world, when Jesus came to the world, God began to dwell with us. Now, in the Gospel of John, verse number 18 in that first chapter, goes on to say, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So God came to this earth. God was incarnate. Jesus, the Son of God, was incarnate, living upon the earth. And so he began to dwell among men. And he proved that God is not incapable of personal interaction, that God is not somebody who's just way off in the blue somewhere that we can know nothing about, and we have no idea if he really cares about us. Jesus came into the world to reveal to us the Father, and he came so that we could have that personal relationship with God. Now, it's very sad that there are so many cults in the world today that deny the deity of Christ. There are some who say that Jesus was an angel, Or that Jesus was just a man, he really wasn't God. 
But if Jesus was a created being, if he was an angel, and if he was only a man or something like that, then we would be in a very terrible shape because we would not have God dwelling with us. Jesus had to come in the flesh in order to dwell with us. And without that, we can never have any personal interaction with God. But Jesus is God. And the Scriptures are very clear about that. He came to change our view of God. And so we know that there is a God in heaven above and one who does care for us and one who is willing to become a man in order to save us from our sins. We know that He is there and we can have a relationship with Him. He loves us. And folks, that was a previously unknown relationship. God became flesh. God became human. He was carried in the womb of a Galilean virgin. He was born in a cattle stall in Bethlehem of Judea. And that is a sea change. That is a radical change. What greater transformation could there have been for the holy God to come in human flesh? He came in the flesh and blood so that he might give us a new view of God. And so the infinite, infinite, sinless God came to dwell with finite, sinful man. But it's not just God dwelling with man. There's more that we can talk about in the sea change. Because next we have the conversion of sinners from sin. In John chapter 3, Jesus met a man by the name of Nicodemus. And he was one of the most prominent Jews in Jerusalem. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That was the Jewish ruling council at that time. And secretly one night, Nicodemus came to Jesus. He'd heard Jesus teach and... There was something very uncommon about him. He noticed something very much different about him. Jesus had never been to any of the religious schools. He'd never sat under Jewish rabbis. And yet when Nicodemus approached him, and when he began to speak to him, he said, Rabbi, he called him teacher, he called him master. And he said, we know that you must be a teacher that has come from God. Now, what Jesus knew, because he was God, he knew that Nicodemus was struggling with something down deep in his heart. There was a problem with him. He had been convicted by the teachings of Jesus, and he knew something was wrong deep down inside. Now, before he was ever able to ask Jesus a question, Jesus gave him an answer. Now, Nicodemus never even got to ask what was on his heart. His, 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 his question was, what must I do to be right with God? He never asked it, but Jesus gave him the answer to the question. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And there is another great sea change of Christmas. Jesus came into the world that we might be born again. Now, what does that mean, to be born again? Well, curiously, that was Nicodemus' next question. And so he got to ask it this time, and he said, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus' answer to that question is the truth that every person in this room must know before you can ever see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And that means that Christ must make a radical transformation in your life. There has to be a sea change before you can ever see God. See, the Bible says that all of us are born spiritually dead. Our natural birth brings us into this world as the enemies of God. Scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible also teaches that all people are under God's just condemnation. And the terribly sad, horrible thing about that is that we can't do anything about it. 
we're powerless to do anything about the way that we have been born. And so unless God should touch you and regenerate you, unless you are raised from spiritual death into spiritual life, unless you have been born again by the Spirit of God, then you have no power to repent of your sins and trust Christ for salvation. Scripture says also that it is the Word or is the power of God, it is the work of God that you believe. That's what it says in John 6, verse number 29. And friends, that is why Christ came into the world. Christ was born that you might be born again. He came in order to pay the penalty for your sins, that by faith in the blood of his cross, you might have everlasting life. You see, you can't see God unless you're born again. You have to be converted from your sins through the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when John writes in Revelation 21, verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. When he writes that, he's speaking of those who have been born again of the Spirit of God. And here it says that he gives them to drink of that fountain of the water of life freely. And that fountain springs up in them into everlasting life. And friends, that is a sea change of Christmas. Dead sinners are transformed into living saints. And that is a radical transformation made possible because Jesus was born in that cattle stall on that night. Well, then there's also something else that happens. The sinner is convicted of his sins, and in so doing, Christ brings about another sea change, and that is the recreation of old sinners into new saints. You see, when you're born again, you begin a new life in Christ. Before you were that old man that was dead in trespasses and sin. But once you have trusted Christ, then you have become a new saint and able to live a completely different life. Paul states it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when you are in Christ, you become a new creature or literally a new creation in him. What you were before is gone. Now there's a new life that's ahead of you. Now, I want you to understand something because some people give us the wrong impression of this particular scripture. And they teach that when a person is saved, that all of a sudden, all of his evil desires are gone. All of his lusts and his evil passions are taken away from him. And so a person who's saved just goes singing and skipping along down the street without a care in the world. But if I ask you to raise your hand today and ask you how many of you that have believed in Christ have not already sinned on this Sunday morning, then I'd say all of us would have to raise our hands. Who among us has not had one evil thought that's gone through our minds already today? And how many parents that brought children into church today for Sunday school or to sit in children's service and they had to fight with them and they got angry with them because they wouldn't get ready when they were supposed to and they've already lashed out in anger against a child. Or how many of you driving into church today uh, got stopped at a light where somebody wouldn't move and you start blowing your horn trying to get them out of the way because you're late for church. So you have that little bit of road rage that's going on. Well, you see, there's so many millions of things that are out there that causes us to sin. So, yes, we do know that we sin. Billions of demons are out there being used by Satan to tempt us in every conceivable way. So we don't lose the ability to sin when we get saved. 
But the Bible does teach that we are set free from the condemnation of our sin. We aren't judged for our sins any longer. All of our sins have been forgiven because of Christ, even though there are still sins in our lives. So that's not what the verse means. It means that we have a new standing in Christ. Now, sadly, the verse, as I said, is taken out of context because if you go on reading the next two verses, then you get the exact picture of what Paul is trying to convey. He says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit or to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing or not charging their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So the thing that is new is this standing that we have in Christ. We're a new creature in Christ, meaning that by his blood we have been reconciled to God, and those sins that we commit are no longer charged to us. We are justified in Christ. Now that is a radical transformation. That is a sea change, because before this happened we were God's enemies. We were vile sinners that were on our way to hell and justly deserving that we should go there. One thing that we never want to ask God for is, God, give me justice. Because when God gives you justice, you'll be right in the same place that I would be in, and that is in the fires of hell. But thank God for this, that through the sacrifice of Christ and through that blood that was shed upon Calvary, we are now creatures that have been freed from the condemnation of God's law. And so we've been justified by God. We've been reconciled from enmity to fellowship with God. And so that old sinful creature that you were before, that's gone. And now you are regarded even as the spotless Lamb of God himself. And you know why? Because there was a sea change that happened to you. Your sins were placed upon the sinless one, and his righteousness is placed upon the sinful one. Now there we see that two great transformations have taken place. Christ became sin for you, and you became the righteousness of God in him. And if you go on reading a little bit further in that same chapter, that is what Paul says. He says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there's a sea change that takes place on both sides. The one who knew no sin is made sin, and the one who knew nothing but sin has been made righteous. Now we thank God for Christmas because when God became a man, then he made sure that his people would be recreated from sinfulness into righteousness. Now, we'll go on then. God dwelt with us. That's a change in our personal relationship with God. Christ converts us through the new birth. Christ recreates us as new people that have been justified and reconciled to God. And all of those are radical transformations. Those are sea changes. Now, fourthly then... We also have this change, and that is the conquering of death and raising to life. Now, here's where you need to listen very closely to what I'm going to say next, because this is what makes Christianity so radically different from all other religions that are out there. In the beginning of the message, I said that Jesus Christ divides time. Everything before his birth is B.C., that is before Christ. But did you notice that since the time of Christ... Nothing is reckoned as after death. Now, that's what some people think that A.D. means. They think it means after death. And that, of course, makes no sense because then we'd lose 33 years of time somewhere 
and we'd have to have a DL designation during his life, and then we would call those years that. But time is not reckoned as A.D. after death. It's reckoned as Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. And so do you realize that what that means? It means that every year that passes on the calendar is a year of our Lord, and that is an admission that Christ is alive. There is no after death because Christ is alive. And did you know that our Constitution says that just before the signatures? This was completely written out just before the first signer of our Constitution, George Washington, signed the Constitution. It says, Done in convention by the unanimous consent of the states present the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord, 1,787, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 12th. In the year of our Lord. Now, our government is doing everything that it can to try to take Christ out of the government. But when the framers wrote the Constitution and they signed it, they signed their names underneath a statement that says, in the year of our Lord. Now, who are they talking about? Well, unless you're a complete nutcase, everybody knows who the Lord is. Time is reckoned by Jesus Christ. And so the framers did not write simply A.D. They said, in the year of our Lord. And they said it, friends, because Jesus is alive. He was born in Bethlehem. He walked on the earth for 33 years. He was taken to the cross and he was crucified, put into a tomb. And three days later, he arose from the dead. Is that not a sea change? Isn't that a radical transformation? I mean, the dead are raised to life. You know, I've been to many funerals in my time. I've preached the funerals of some saints right here in Berean Baptist Church. But not one time did I ever see a person in the casket sit up and wave to everybody attending uh, attending the funeral. People go into the tomb dead, and we don't expect them to come back to life. We don't expect them to walk out of that grave, except for one particular future event that's going to happen. There's coming a time when the dead shall live. Here's what Jesus says in John 5, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now you see what it says? Believers will come forth to a resurrection of life. The dead will live again. That's a sea change. The dead coming back to life. And why will they come back to life? Jesus explains that. He says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Now that was spoken just before Jesus went to the cross. Because I live, ye shall live also. Jesus was on his way to die on that old rugged cross. And in chapter 12, he said some marvelous words about his death. Why don't you take your Bibles, if you would, and flip back a few pages there to John chapter 12. I want you to see this in your Bible. Feel those pages as you turn them back there. Uh, if you have an electronic device looking at the Bible today, you're going to miss the, the fun of this. <laughs> it's always good to feel that Bible in your hands. Look at John chapter 12, verse number 23, and let's start reading it there. John 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
And what a wonderful thing for Christ to say there. He just had a masterful use of, of the language. And the King James Version puts it so beautifully here. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if I die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus says, I must die. And if I don't die, then I'm like an unplanted grain of wheat. It stays one grain, and it's only one grain only. But you take that very same grain of wheat, and you plant it into the ground, and it brings forth much fruit. And Jesus is there talking about believers. Because he died and rose again, he will bring forth much fruit. The dead shall live. Then he goes on in verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Why do we have Christmas? Why did Jesus come into the world? There it is. He was born for death. He came to give up his life in order that the dead might be raised to life. And that is to eternal life in him. Then he says in verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now what an amazing thing we see here. A sea change, a transformation. Jesus was the first one to die. And then by his own power, he was raised from the dead. Listen to these great words from Job. He said, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. If I die, will I live again? He says, I'm going to wait until the appointed time when God's going to call me, and then I'll wait till my change come. It's a sea change. That is a radical transformation. Death is conquered, and the dead are raised to life. 1 Corinthians says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those verses come at the end of the great resurrection chapter. Our hope of eternal life is that Christ came out of the tomb. He was raised from the dead. And that's what makes it possible for all of those dead bodies that could not get up at their own funeral to rise up in the air when Jesus comes back. Listen to what Paul says in verses 51 and 52 of the chapter. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Changed. That's a sea change, a transformation, and that's coming when the Lord comes. Now, friends, he could not come back if he was not here at first. He was born. Christmas came in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and because he was born and he lived and he died and he arose again, because he is alive, he is coming back. And he's coming back to change us. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. It's not after death. He is alive. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God for that sea change that's brought about because of Christmas. Now that brings me back once again to our text. In Revelation 21, verse number 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So what is that last sea change that comes about because of Christmas? Well, it's this. It's the construction of a brand new home. There's coming a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth will pass away. Now, everybody here, I encourage you, don't try to accumulate things in this life. Don't try to gather up all the world's goods that you can because one of these days it's all going to be burned up. Don't spend your time doing that. Peter wrote this. He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is no physical thing that is going to survive the destruction of the earth. Now, somewhere off in the future, at a day that we don't know, everything here is going to be gone. Now, if you're worried about global warming, here it is. I mean, it's going to be so hot that nothing's going to survive it. You know, we ought not to think that, that man is going to destroy the earth. I mean, you get it out of your head that fossil fuels and carbon emissions and greenhouse gases will be the demise of the earth. God's going to destroy the earth himself and not man. And when he does it, it's going to be gone in an instant. It's not going to be a long, slow process of spraying too many hairspray cans. But look what Peter says next here. He says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So God says, Behold, I make all things new. Jesus came into the world, born in a stable, grew up, lived and died to be the Savior of the world. He grew up and he lived that perfect life and he died an agonizing death so that he could make all things new. Just before he went to the cross, he gave the disciples this word. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus has gone back to heaven, and he's gone there to construct a brand new home. So there's a sea change that's coming. The earth will be dissolved. Heavens and earth will pass away. Jesus is going to make all things new. And he's building that eternal home in the heavens. I preach the message today because I want you to know that Jesus was born so that things could change. Jesus is the great divider of time. But more importantly than that, Jesus is also a great divider of people. The scripture tells us that there is a judgment that's coming. And when the judgment comes, Christ will say to some... Those who have trusted in him, you can enter into your brand new home. But he has another word for others. And we didn't read far enough today in Revelation 21 to get to it, but it's in the very next verse. Verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, if you're not a Christian, here is another sea change, but it's one that you don't want to see happen. You're going to leave this world, 
And the very worst thing that's ever happened to you in this life will never compare to what happens to you there being punished in the eternal fires of hell. And so if you haven't trusted Christ, you need to be changed by him. You can enter into a new relationship with him. You'll be converted from your sins. You'll be created anew in Christ. You will conquer death and be raised to life. And then you can live in that new home that Jesus is building for you. Now that is a radical transformation. These are transformations that take place all because Christ was born. It's a sea change of Christmas. And friends, now the word of God says, Behold, I make all things new. And I do pray and I know that I'm going to be standing in the presence of God when he says that. I make all things new and I'll enter into my heavenly home. How about you? Have you learned about the sea changes of Christmas? I mean, has this happened to you? I hope that you're born again and I hope that you will live with Christ in that heavenly home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we spend together today. We, we appreciate so much all of the beautiful singing as we remember that Jesus Christ was born into the world. And because that he was born, the world can never be the same again. All things are changed because of you, and all things become new. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to someone's heart today. If they haven't received you as Savior, may they understand what Christmas is truly all about. It's not about presents, and it's not about celebrations. It's not about babies. It's all about the Son of God who came into the world to give his life as a ransom for sin. Lord, I pray there might be someone here today who would trust you as personal Savior and Lord. And then others who are Christians, may we be drawn to you, and may we ever be so thankful that you came into the world to save us from our sins. Bless as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.